Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have you all with us for uh, Political Rewind today. Boy, what an incredibly busy week in politics here in Georgia and in Washington, D.C. We're going to review a lot of what went on uh, with our panel today. Before we get to the news and to the panel, a couple of quick announcements. Number one, I'm going to probably be repeating this quite often uh, in the weeks ahead, so I hope you don't get bored with it. But starting on Monday, January 6th, Political Rewind will go to a five-day-a-week schedule. We'll be on the air Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 2 o'clock. You'll be able to listen to us, of course, on the radio then, but you can still listen to the shows all five a week on our podcast. You can uh, download it. You can, I'm sorry, uh, go to our website you can watch it on uh, or on Facebook Live as well at the GP newspaper. So there's lots of ways to get the show. Most important, we're going to be with you every day of the week starting on January 6th. So that's one announcement. The other is that um, we're uh, going to bring back an idea that uh, we established during the uh, 2016 presidential campaign, and we want to start doing uh, a few times in the next year with all of you, we're going to start doing some citizen panel shows, shows in which we'll invite you who listen to this show out there to talk with us about politics today. Now, we can't have all of you here to do that, but we're going to put together panels of a number of people and the way we'd like you to put yourself in the running if you want to be one of the people we choose is we have a phone number you can call. You'll get a recorded message which will ask you uh, these questions. What's your name? Where? What part of the state do you live in? What city? What's your political affiliation? And then give us a very brief message about why you think you should be part of our panel. The number is 404 685 Sam, we'll put that up on our social media platforms, right, so people can go to it and find it out. But we're very excited. These, these In 2016, Jim, you were a part of a couple of those. They were really terrific. We learned lots of interesting information oh, from yeah, the people that we had. Especially when the same people were coming back yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Those, and to, just to see how their, their ideas changed. You know, you could do this by simply taking, uh, drawing from the list of the 500 or so people who are not U.S. Senators <laughs> today. That's a very good idea. All right. With that, all of that said, let's get to the topics of the day. That's Jim Galloway, of course, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He appears in the paper on Wednesdays and Sundays and oversees the Political Insider blog at uh, AJC.com. Next to him is his boss, Kevin Riley, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, usually here on Tuesdays with us. It's great to have you here on a Friday show, Kevin. Thanks for being here. It's good to be here and part of this prestigious panel. Yeah, it is a prestigious panel. This Friday panel thing's totally different. Not the least of which reasons (laughs) are that we have uh, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, Democrat from Decatur, back with us. Uh, Hi, Mary Margaret. How have you been? Good afternoon. Thanks for the invitation. Sure. Are you starting – do you start – Doing extra workouts with the legislative session just about a month or so away, you know, muscle up a little for well, the session. Well, my stress, I can feel my stress level going up, <laughs> daily task list, getting ready. All right, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Uh, have you got any legislation, what should we be on the lookout uh, for from you this session? Uh, I will not discuss the secret things I'm doing. At oh, some well. point, I'll let you know about that, which is important to me. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how we get Medicaid funding for children under seven for mental health issues. Okay. And I'm also trying to figure out why Georgia is only one of three states that prosecutes 17-year-olds as adults. And and we know that that's an issue that could very well uh, take up a good amount of time in in the session. You are one of the major players on that, but there are others who are sharing your concern. It's an interesting... Although, of course, nerdy issue, there are 6,517 year olds arrested every year in Georgia, and two thirds of them are misdemeanors. Do they have a permanent arrest record as an adult criminal offender? 
for the rest of their lives, which we know how bad that is. All right. Well, we're going to watch uh, how your uh, issues progress during the session, which starts Monday, January 13th. But those are not the secret things. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to hearing about those as well. Uh, Next to you is uh, Eric Tannenblatt. Uh, Eric, you know, it's interesting when we go to a a five-day-a-week show, I think about the fact that you were one of the people who has been with us almost from the very start when we were on one day a week. And here you are. uh, And, of course, people know that you were, among many other things, you were uh, Governor Sonny Perdue's chief of staff during his first term. You were a major uh, part of the uh, Mitt Romney campaign for president. You've worked with the entire Bush family from George H.W. to George W. to Jeb. Uh, and you've been a major player in Republican Party politics in Georgia and in Washington for a very long time. Fair enough way to introduce you? Yeah, although this week I've been reflecting a lot on my time working for 10 years for Paul Coverdale in oh. the U.S. Senate. Oh, why this week? Because I was up in Washington on Tuesday when Johnny Isaacson delivered his uh, last speech in the Mm. Senate and listened to 50 of his colleagues uh, speak about him on the floor of the Senate. And it was brought back a a lot of memories. And it was great to see uh, Johnny's staff and former staff all there to to sort of celebrate uh, his career. And even even uh, other people that worked with me, uh, with Senator Coverdale, were there. There were people that worked for Herman Talmadge were there, people who worked for Sam Nunn, and wow. it was just a really special yeah, day. Yeah, I know that uh, Heath Garrett was here on Wednesday, talked about it. You were all sitting up there in the same section of the Senate gallery, I assume, watching yes. all of it unfold. So that must have been a great On Tuesday, we actually were able to present uh, part of his remarks live during Political Rewind, which really... Uh, felt good to me. All right. Uh, Jim Galloway, two significant resignations uh, in state politics, essentially, over a period of about 24 hours, really. Um, And we'll talk about both of them. One, of course, is that the longest serving Republican in the Georgia U.S. House delegation, Tom Graves, announced yesterday he is not going to seek re-election. Let's just start with Tom Graves, and then we'll talk about Robert Benham in a couple of minutes. Right. Uh, Okay. Tom Graves represents the 14th District in the northwest corner of Georgia, uh, kind of from maybe from Paulding up to uh, Chattanooga. It's it's a very Republican district. This is this this is not a seat that's going to flip. So I mean, he got seventy seven percent of the vote in in twenty eighteen. So this is this is not a matter of him feeling vulnerable. It may be a, a, a matter of him feeling useless because because if you're the minority in the U.S. House, you are uh, you are almost less than nothing. Uh, uh, you can give speeches, you can you can you can tweet, but there's not a whole lot else you can do. Uh, he had lost a couple of leadership races, and 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 so so it's what, what's interesting is that he is uh, just 24 hours after this, we had yet one more Republican in North Carolina mm-hmm. uh, call it quits. So we have 31 House members who are not coming back next year. Uh, 21 of them now are Republican. Yeah, uh, Eric, I think that's one of the things that's interesting. What we don't know, Tom Graves has not told any of us uh, exactly why he's uh, decided to give up the seat at this point. There's lots of various uh, speculations about it, including what Galloway just suggested. But there does seem to be this mass exodus of Republicans from the House going on between 2019 and this year. Yeah, is and this, this, are they just a... tired? Well, uh, I think Jim made a good point. You know, being in the minority is tough, although I will say being in the minority with a uh, president of your party uh, does make it uh, a little a bit easier because you can uh, get certain things done. But this is a big loss for uh, for Georgia. Tom really developed uh, a tremendous reputation in Washington among uh, the leadership in the in the Republican caucus, and I recently actually had a conversation before this announcement with uh, Leader McCarthy, and Tom was one of the people in the Georgia delegation that you know really stand you know stood out to him, and and I've watched Tom too from when he first arrived uh, in Washington to where he is today, and how uh, he has really um, uh, excelled in terms of uh, his leadership and reputation uh, in D.C. But, you know, he's a he's a young, young person, and I think he has a bright future. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, no one anticipated Johnny Isaacson stepping down 
uh, at this point. I, I don't know if he was thinking that maybe that was something he was going to do at the end of Johnny's term. Um, we Run just for that seat, Yeah, possibly. we just elected a, a new governor. So, you know, it's an opportunity for him to do something else. But I don't think we've heard the the last of Tom Graves. And, you know, now it provides a, an opportunity in the, in the 14th. And there's already names that have been... Uh, you know, talked about one that I think is very intriguing is is State Representative Katie Dempsey. Uh, it, you, you all know my uh, issue about you know the the importance of electing more Republican women, and we already have a competitive race in the seventh district with some women that may secure the nomination there. We have Karen Handel. Now we have Kelly Leffler as a senator. That wouldn't it just be terrific to have another woman running for Congress? Katie Dempsey was on the show not too uh, long ago. It was interesting to get a chance to hear her. Uh, you, Mary Margaret, the one thing, though, that, it, that I think is part of the speculation about all these Republicans who've decided to quit is uh, how much of it has to do, are they weir- is it Trump weariness to some extent? Uh, are they just disenchanted with the highly partisan nature? I mean, it's certainly true that if you're in the minority in the House, even with the president in, uh, of your party in power, you have less ability to do anything. But the, the gridlock and the partisanship, I would think, may wear everybody out regardless of party, but it just seems to be working in the, in, against Republicans more than Democrats. I've served personally with Johnny Isaacson, Tom Graves, Doug Collins, and, of course, Justice Benham also. So I've had some personal reflections this week. It, I don't think for people who aren't in a political role or family understand really how hard the job can be. And how unfair, unfair, politics is not based on merit and effort. It's based on circumstances that you don't control, and many of it feels, much of it can feel unfair. The second major issue for anybody in their midlife, Johnny's not in his midlife, but Doug Collins and Tom Graves are, they have significant financial responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I think congressmen are well compensated. However, in terms of building a f- financial future, for two households fa- are hard to keep up on that. Even even on that salary, two households, children going off to college. Well, uh, I just have to ask, though. I mean, you guys are sort of hinting that we have two congressmen who are pretty unhappy about the governor's decision potentially on the Senate. Thing, oh no, right? I wasn't implying that. I was just talking about what kinds of things may be going on in Tom's uh, head in terms of you know thinking about him staying in, yeah. in, in the house. Let me, you know, I, I do want to comment on this, this notion of making an income. I, I do, I remember very clearly when, when Sam Nunn, who, you know, many people would consider one of the great, great uh, senators from the state of Georgia for so many years, when he finally decided to retire, uh, I was up in D.C. visiting with him one day, and I said, why now, uh, Sam? And, and he said very candidly, he said, it's time for me to go back home and make a living, <laughs> which I think is an interesting sense of what Mary Margaret said. The reality of, you know, Sam was no longer a young man at that point, but essentially he was saying, I've done well up here, but now I want to think toward my future and I want to have a nest egg. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could see that. What does a congressman make? Like a 170? Yeah, something like 160 to 170 With a very good now. pension. Johnny Isaacson had the privilege and the benefit of a family business that was – but most of the other young men, uh, men and women that I serve with, men being probably the household earner, uh, you know, are, are not wealthy people on my level. And in Senate, they're wealthy people, apparently. Uh, our new senator is a very, very wealthy um, mm-hmm. uh, business successful around her that's going to she has no financial issues but most real families even if they make a very good salary have to be thinking about what their financial future is for themselves and their families and and i I think you also made a good point uh mary margaret about children i mean i remember when paul ryan left the house one of the reasons why he did that was his kids were getting to an age where they were going off to college and he didn't he missed a lot of, you know, their, yeah. you know, growing up. And, and Tom's got a young family as well. Let's talk about the other uh, retirement, uh, Jim, that in some ways is, is an even more profound one. Robert Benham, 
who was already had announced that he would step down from his seat on the Georgia State Supreme Court at the end of his term, which would have come up next November, but now has accelerated that timetable and is going to retire much sooner than that. And that has some profound implications. Right. He's going to retire on March 1st. And according to this quirk in Georgia law, if you if if a if a a uh, and uh, if a governor appoints a new uh, a judge or justice uh, less than sixty uh, six months before the next election, that race automatically comes off the current ballot, and it moves shifts two years forward. Uh, so we will not be voting on that seat until twenty twenty two. It's gone. Mary Just Mar- disappeared. Oh. Mary Margaret, you're an attorney. Uh, you've watched Robert Benham's entire career. He is a highly respected jurist, but he's also a groundbreaker. First African-American elected statewide when he won his job as a district court judge back in the 80s. I think he was the second graduate of University of Georgia. We're kind of right at the same. Second African-American graduate. graduate. And I remember when he was a a lawyer representing defects as a special attorney general in Cartersville. So I go back that far with him. To his credit, he has been very cognizant of his role in history as the first African-American in many different roles and has mentored and brought other young African-American lawyers, men and women, to the court. And that has been a a high priority for him, to his credit. And my opinion is that he saw a race, uh, pretty aggressive, good candidates, Congressman, former Congressman John Barrow and Court of Appeals Judge Sarah Doyle, uh, who had very, very good chances to win, uh, this Supreme Court section, which would take an African-American off the Georgia Supreme Court. Let me, yeah, Bill, I hope you're patient enough. Let me slow these experts down a little bit. So the Georgia Supreme Court has how many justices now? It has nine now because uh, we made increase, the deal. Increased, increased by the two, number. right? And of those nine, what what is the makeup, men, women, and by race? There's one woman. And two African-American men, Harold Melton and Justice Benham. So, that so six white what's men. on his mind is making sure that he gets another African-American on the court. And I think there was some raw politics, politicking and negotiation directly with the governor. This this is my speculation, you understand. <laughs> Nobody's whispering <laughs> to me. It's probably well-informed speculation. Well, I'm, but... not, I'm not the expert on what's happening in the governor's office, but it's speculation with a lot of folks that Justice Benham said, I will resign. Uh, giving you another appointment to the Georgia Supreme Court. But it's my wish, it would be my strong hope, that you would appoint an African-American, perhaps a woman, to that court. And, and Jim, uh, the governor does have a couple of names that he can call on almost immediately if he decides to. Right, right. I mean, there, there is Robin Crittenden, he, uh, who, was, uh, uh, who took his place as the acting secretary of state. Immediately after he won the, the African American woman who right. was one of the applicants for the Senate, uh, right, right, job. and who has had a very distinguished career uh, with the Board of Regents and with other uh, legal positions. There's also a second candidate, a young woman, younger woman, uh, Tabitha Ponder Beckwith, that I've been supporting in her run for a. Uh, Court of Appeals, and she has made the short list this week on from the Judicial Nominating Committee to be uh, uh, a possible placement by does, does Justice Crittenden, Kim. Does Crittenden have any uh, judicial experience? Neither of these African-American women have very successful legal careers in a variety of ways, and neither of them have served as a judge. Eric, uh, before we get to our first break of the show, just to finish this out, it, it's, it's interesting that once again, Governor Kemp has the powerful... Uh, opportunity to appoint someone to an to a significant office in this case the state supreme court uh, absolutely and you know i have been uh very pleased with all of his appointments to date and this is another uh opportunity for him i i think we also should not uh lose sight of the fact that this has really turned uh some races upside down i mean you had oh, people yeah. that were actively campaigning for a raising long mon- raising, raising money, money. right and suddenly, that it's useless. Yeah, John um, Barrow's raised over three hundred thousand dollars. Sarah Doyle's raised over two hundred thousand. Beth Beskin, your former colleague. So it, mm-hmm. uh, it all of that out the window. And and f- further, you've got you've got uh, because Ms. Doyle 
uh, resigned or announced that she was running for Supreme Court. You've got what eight or nine people running for this for the Court of Appeals. Yeah. And if she doesn't get a, 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 a Kemp's favor to name to the Supreme Court, she's going to shift back into that race. But those other people may not withdraw. Ah, politics. I love it. Yeah. Not fair, not based on merit. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and, and this is, we should say, this is a May election. This is a mid-May. Yeah. This is concurrent with the thank primaries. You. Uh, thank you for uh, pointing that out. A little piece of history as we get to our break, uh, Kevin Riley. When Robert Benham won that first statewide race as an African-American in 1984's campaign. I've said this on the show before, but it's always worth repeating because it reminds us of what Georgia has been like over the years. Robert Benham, uh, the campaign posters for him in Metro Atlanta showed a picture of Benham uh, as a candidate for the office. The campaign posters for Benham all over South Georgia had no photograph whatsoever. And that was 35 years ago. And right? that was 1984. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I was the reporter assigned to cover that one. All right. The youthful Jim Galloway. Yeah, very was young. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, let's give, give uh, Jim Galloway a chance to get in a quick nap, and we'll come back <laughs> in just a minute with more on Political Rewind. I'm Noelle King. Over the past year, you listened as news broke and developed. You kept up with it all because being informed is important to you. And maybe as the stories changed, you did too. You heard new angles and voices. You understood. You grew. There will be more to learn in the new year, and we'll explore it all together. So please make a year-end gift now because when we grow, you do too. Donate online at gpb.org or call 800-222-4788. President Trump says it was completely normal to hold security aid to Ukraine. Why would you give money to a country that you think is, is corrupt? People in charge of the funds don't buy it. It was laughable. They've never expressed concern to us about corruption in Ukraine or, frankly, anywhere. So what is normal when it comes to foreign aid? This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Listen to All Things Considered from 4 to 6 this afternoon here on Georgia Public Broadcasting. So uh, we know that this week was a huge week for Brian Kemp and Kelly Loeffler, certainly. On Wednesday, the governor did what we've all been expecting for the last few days, and that's that he would name Kelly Loeffler to replace Johnny Isaacson in the U.S. Senate starting in January. So she goes to Washington. She'll be sworn in and fill that seat until the November election when she will stand for election with who knows how many other candidates uh, I wa- let me if I can though before we talk Leffler, l- let's talk about that. Jim, you wrote in your column today. It's time for Democrats to step up, and I just want to make one point. For a long time, ever since Sally Yates was fired as the acting attorney general by uh, President Trump. Democrats have been clamoring for her to run for office, first for governor or whatever. Her name has started coming up in terms of the United States Senate. We have said, those of us who've known Sally over the years have said, this is not in her makeup to run for office. And Kevin Riley, you saw Preet Bharara uh, do a podcast with uh, Sally Yates uh, this week, and he pushed her hard on it. And what did Sally Yates say about running for public office? It was at a, uh, an event at the Buckhead Theater. There were probably about 800 people there. And Mary Margaret Mary there, Margaret huh? Oliver was there. I missed you there. I would have bought you a glass of wine had I seen fun. you. It was fun. It was fun. I went with Greg Bluestein, as a matter of fact. And uh, it, finally, near the end of the questioning, uh, Preet asked her about it, and he would not let go. He kept pushing her. And, and Sally was clearly uncomfortable and wanting wanting to move on and you know she she ultimately said it's just not you know what she feels she should be doing yeah it's not not in her makeup i've known both comer and sally for a long time because they go to church yates her husband they go to church with me and so and comer's very active at our church sally's less so i have never felt like she wanted to do it and she never brings up the fact that her husband ran for congress and was beaten by cynthia mckinney Comer brought ago. that up to us afterwards. Yeah. We were talking to him. He brought uh, that up. That was a painful, excruciating race for Comer Yates. Hamer and painful and excruciating are two really relevant words for that race. <laughs> and uh, they're brand new grandparents. Uh, she has a really wonderful life now on a, as a national heroine, uh, and she's a fabulous lawyer. Uh, Preet was saying, "I will. I never want to be a judge, and never wanted that." 
and she is saying, uh, I never wanted to be a politician. I would like to see Sally Yates on the United States Supreme Court appointed well, by a Democratic So, president. Eric, one of the things that is interesting about all this is that Yates says, I still believe in public service. She said that uh, in this event the and, other night. And she made clear that, uh, to me at least, that, that it felt clear that she plans to be back in public service well, one way or another. which and raises the question, I mean, if a Democrat wins the White House in, in November, Sally Yates has to be very high on the list for any number of positions, att- including attorney general, including sure. attorney general, you sure. would think. I mean, so her, her career is only as limited as she wants it to be and to the extent that Democrats uh, would win the White House. I mean, she, tre- she, she has a long, distinguished career in public servants working for both. Democratic and Republican, under Democrats and Republicans. Yep, 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 as U.S. attorney here. Um, Okay, so let's talk now about the uh, Kelly Leffler announcement on Wednesday. Jim, one of the questions is, we've talked about it, of course, throughout the week on the show, but here's the question that I'd like to pose to start the conversation uh, today. Are we, do we think, after all of the conservative uh, venom directed at her from the time her name popped up in a significant way in in the political insider act actually in your in, in your uh, paper. Um, do we think it's going to start to fade? Are Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, the other uh, pundits on Fox News, are uh, people like Matt Gates from Florida? Are they going to start to take a deep breath and back? Off? I think you've already seen that. I, 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 since Wednesday, the kind of that that wing that wing of the of of the GOP has gone silent. Why do you think? Why? I think I think that doesn't work. I, I think those attacks now do not work unless they have some sort of green light from President Donald Trump, and 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 Trump has not. Remember one thing to keep in mind: Trump has never publicly weighed in on this contest. He's had some private conversation. He had a private White House conversation with with the governor and with uh, Leffler uh, uh, last month. He has made a few phone calls. He's had some limousine conversation with with uh, with Kemp, but he has not he has not gone public with his with with his endorsement of Doug Collins. At the same time, Kevin, he has not tweeted out his support for her yet either. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, on the media side, I don't think it's complicated. I mean, though. The Sean Hannitys and those kind of hosts, they they move on to the next thing, and and uh, unless she puts herself in their crosshairs again, I don't think they'll they'll care too much about her. But you know, will something happen here? You know, once she's in place, where she draws their ire, and I think that that's they'll react to that. Well, and I think that all of that noise uh, sort of crescendoed, but then once the governor made his appointment, and Kelly Leffler spoke. A lot of people didn't know her. People still don't know her, but she stated her positions. And a lot of the issues that were causing angst with people, I think she calmed a lot of people down. And people are now getting to know more about her. And some of the people that were, uh, you know, unhappy, uh, I think now feel a little bit more comfortable. Mary Margaret? If the political calculus is that suburban women are are automatically going to be attracted to a successful woman candidate. I don't know if that will work in these times, which are totally unique, that if she's going to be a Trumper every single day out there, uh, those suburban women turned away from the Republican candidates, in my opinion, because of Donald Trump. And if she becomes a Trumper, which is her initial statement, um, I don't know that she will bring those suburban women to the Republican Party. But that's the calculus that Governor Kemp is using for his political future as well as the what I call the outer perimeter, the outer perimeter fight for Democrats. Could I – let me – Jim, I've been trying to sort this out in my own head, so I'd like to ask all of you to help me with this. If we just talk about Senate race number two, as we've been calling this, in isolation – Certainly a Kelly Leffler, I think, in a jungle election where there's no primary ahead of time, where she she doesn't have to move to the right to win a primary and then try to maneuver back to win a general. This is one election with Democrats and Republicans in the mix together. Am I right to suggest 
that in that setting, she can be a Trumper and be, you know, throughout the entire campaign in the hopes that that's enough to at least put her in a runoff. She doesn't have to worry about um, the calculation of being to the right at one point and moving back to the center at another, no, does I think, she? I, no, I think it's an entirely different uh, yeah. ca- calculation because, I mean, she is going to be, t- I mean, for the next 11 months, she's going to be taking flack from the right. At the same time, she's taking flack from the left. Uh, she is. She's going to have. She's going to have somebody from the, from 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 the Republican uh, Party is going to try to get to the right of her. I don't. Whether it's a Doug Collins, I don't know. You know whether it's, it, it could be if she's she'll be lucky if it's if it's somebody like Paul Brown who doesn't have a whole lot of financial backing. Uh, and it, again, it goes it goes to where does Trump go? I don't think a successful challenge to Leffler can occur unless the 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 the, the president comes on board or at least gives a wink and a nod. I think there's going to be a lot of unity between David Perdue, Donald Trump, and Kelly Leffler. And I think that they're all three going to be successful you know, because one, of that. One, th- one thing, right after the Leffler uh, ceremony, I ran into a, a, a pretty high-ranking uh, Republican uh, uh, on, on the Capitol grounds. And they're taking Donald Trump's silence as kind of the president's realization that – if if he sparks a civil war, a Republican civil war in Georgia, he's putting at risk 16 electoral votes that he cannot afford to. Right, and a senator who he's very close to in David Perdue. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Eric, though it sounds like part of of what you're saying is that Trump is going to have all kinds of discipline about this, which I mean, <laughs> I, I wonder how confident you feel about that, but also that. Uh, by doing this, Kemp has sort of guaranteed a loyalty in Leffler. In other words, if he does appoint someone like a Collins or something, he can't be sure that they're going to sort of do what he wants them to do. Is that a right way to look at it? Are you talking about the governor? The governor, yeah, because he's got to more or less run with this this with Leffler, right? I mean, well, I'm sure I'm sure Governor Kemp had that in the it had the 2022 election in the back of his mind, but I think his number one priority was to make sure that uh, David Perdue got reelected, Donald Trump um, got reelected, and that he was looking towards the future of the Republican Party. Okay. And, and in the last election cycle, it's I mean, everyone knows the Republicans took a hit in the suburban Atlanta area. Okay, but I want to bring this back to your point, Mary Margaret. Um, you suggested that uh, Kelly Leffler is being uh, put out there by the governor because she brings diversity to the ticket. She may he hopes she'll bring uh, women back to the Republican Party. And you, but you said that the problem with that is the issues she articulated on Wednesday morning are things that Republican suburb, I mean, that suburban women right now don't much care about. So, but if, again, if you take that Senate race in isolation, isn't it just fine for her in a jungle general to adhere to the Trump line in hopes that she attracts enough Republicans to get at least into the runoff? She doesn't have to worry if- really about appealing to those suburban women possibly to get enough Republican votes unless somebody does uh, run to her right. Does that make sense? I think our times are so uncertain. When you have you, a Republican like David Perdue and Brian Kemp, are very strongly tying themselves to Trump. And Trump is behavior on any standard of any business or political behavior is so out of bounds. The name calling of Adam Schiff this week, calling him, the name calling is so abhorrent to many people's sensibilities. I don't only talk about myself right now, but women out there who are taken care of, uh, who voted Democratic because they could not abide that kind of behavior, are going to see that behavior on an hourly basis between now and. November. The, the, Bill, the problem with, with what the outline that you're, you're kind of drawing here is that it, it kind of ignore, ignores a, a crucial connection uh, between uh, the, the 15 state house seats that, mm-hmm. that, that are now uh, at risk and, and could, could, could get, give Democrats control. There's a, a swath of, 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 of those seats in northern metro Atlanta. You've got Karen Handel trying to rebid for the 6th district. And, and I think you've got – I think you there's, – there's got to be some sort of union between all of those dynamics if they're going to succeed. And that requ- that's going to require – look – Leffler 
out of the box on Wednesday, yes, she's, she says, I'm a devoted wife. I'm a devout Christian. I am pro-wall, pro-military, pro-Trump. I think as the year goes on, you're, you're going to see her try to develop at least a, a different kind of persona uh, that's, that's, that's not exclusively Trumpish. In, in, in the same way David Perdue is doing this. That's it. You're, you're exactly right. And I think you have to separate out the Trump policy from the personality. And it's the personality that Mary Margaret was describing that to some uh, is offensive. Uh, but there are policies that Trump has enacted that people are supportive of. Let's talk about so, those policies. And well, there Kelly are some Loeffler. that people are going to disagree with. But I'm saying that when when uh, Kelly says she is a Trumper, that doesn't mean that she's saying that she necessarily agrees with some of the name calling and well, does she have a Twitter like account? That. I think what, that would be the first question. My question <laughs> is, as a Trumper, she is uh, against reproductive freedom for women. She is against any kind of reasonable common sense. We use the term which, gun which management. People, which she ha- is against um, envir- uh, climate change. She is for a deregulation to pollute our environment. All of that are policy positions that are meaningful to suburban women, in my view, which resulted in the election of all those Democrats that I am just thrilled to have opportunity to work with. All of whom, every single woman elected in that Northern Arc has a graduate degree and a successful career. Okay, I'm going to give up personally uh, continuing to try to be a political theorist. Clearly, I was not made to be a strategist, but a host of a show about politics. Uh, I take all of your comments about my theory uh, to heart. Uh, But here's the other question, Kevin. Um, What Kelly Leffler has not shown, and this is strictly in terms of President Trump, Doug Collins, the fiercest defender of President Trump on Capitol Hill, with very, very few exceptions. This thing is likely to move to a trial in the U.S. Senate. Uh, where is how is Kelly Leffler? Now they're going to be they're jurors, so it's not going to be the same kind of situation we have now, where a Collins gets an opportunity to to uh, 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 make his case in in a hearing. Nevertheless. Uh, I would think the president's going to want his f- the fiercest defenders possible in the U.S. Senate. And we don't know how she'll do in that kind of environment. Well, if we are to believe that he valued, the president values loyalty above all else, and we've heard that over and over again, it's hard to look at Doug Collins and, and not believe he has done virtually everything that the president has wanted him to do and been fiercely loyal to him. So I do think, I mean, Leffler's going to have to somehow demonstrate that she'll support him or or do something, right? I mean, Eric, I mean... Well, it's a different situation in the Senate. It is. I mean, Doug Collins is the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. That is the committee is going to draw up the, you know, articles of impeachment. In the Senate, both David Perdue and Kelly Leffler are going to sit there, and they're going to be jurors in a trial, and they're going to have to cast a vote. And, you know, I think it's premature right now to determine what is going to happen when it gets to the Senate. I think we could, we're, most people are assuming that the Senate is not going to convict, but it's going to be a different dynamic when it gets to the Senate. So she's sort of safe there. She, does, I mean, she just has to vote is what you're saying. I don't see safety. No, because the fact of the matter is the trial itself may operate under very strict rules that limit how much members input can make input. That's not what's going to happen off the floor of the United States I'll, Senate, where a Doug Collins could have been an enormous force in I favor of the I want to see Kelly Loeffler answer questions. Do you believe in climate change? Do you believe Roe v. Wade needs to be overturned? Do you believe that coal ash should be dumped in our drinking water? I mean, these are the kind of questions I well, want Mary to Margaret, see. Well, Mary Margaret, she's going to have plenty of time to answer those questions. The election is not until next November. What's she, she going to say, though? She, she just got uh, appointed to the United States Senate within the last 48 hours. I'm not I mean, suggesting give, she give, has yeah. to answer them today. Okay. I'm suggesting. I wasn't suggesting that at okay. all. I am suggesting that those answers to those questions matter to voters. It matters to voters. All right, Galloway, you got any last thoughts before we get our, our final break of the show out of the way? Uh, I would just point you to the last paragraphs of the Sunday column, 
where we've got a, an interesting situation where Georgia, uh, uh, Michael Jablonski, uh, a Democratic attorney, pointed me to this, to a code section uh, governing special elections for the U.S. Senate that say the qualifying must be kept open until 60 days before the vote. Now, the Secretary of State's office may dispute that, uh, but that would that would conceivably that could allow somebody in the Isaac in the David Perdue race, a Democrat in the David Perdue race, to go to go th- all the way through a runoff. If he or she is defeated, then then he or she turn could around turn qualify. around and qualify. <laughs> it's, I'm not saying it's a good idea. It's but it, but it's a possibility. This sounds like a legislative initiative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, uh, let's do this. We've we've uh, been uh, uh, talking about Doug Collins a bit during this segment. Let's talk about him a little more and how he's handling his role in the impeachment hearings uh, right after we take this break. There are many ways to be a leader. Some run big companies. Some serve on the school board or volunteer for causes they care about. Most leaders are regular people who want to make a difference. They do it by supporting what matters to them. I'm Tamara Keith. When you give to public radio, you're supporting reliable journalism. So please follow your heart and be a leader. Make a year-end gift now. Call 800-222-4788 or donate online at gpb.org. The unemployment rate is at near record lows, about where it was back in the 60s. But, you know, the job market is pretty different right now. In the late 1960s, only about 5% of the unemployed had been out of work for six months or more. Now it's about 20%. I'm Kai Rizdahl, the latest unemployment next time on Marketplace. Join host Kai Rizdahl for the latest economic news and analysis at 6 this evening here on Georgia Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, Our Judiciary Committee uh, took center stage in Washington as they began their phase of the impeachment hearings. Gerald Nadler chairing that committee, of course, but Doug Collins, our own Georgia member of the House, being the ranking member and having the most prominent role on his side of all of this. he also did a lot of TV this week in addition to talking uh, during the hearing itself. Here he is talking to Sean Hannity and I think probably uh, laying out the Republican side of this as well as anybody else has. Do we have any idea where this goes? Is uh, uh, Jerry Nadler giving you any heads up of what's next? No, this is really what's sad, Sean. The American people ought to be outraged with the waste of taxpayer dollars, the waste of taxpayer time, with the shift show, with the Nadler Circus. We still have no idea. And if you watch today, I gave him an opportunity in his closing to say, where are we going from here? What is your plan? Instead of bringing these academics who don't have anything to do with the show, to bring us actually to have fact witnesses, people who would actually be able to testify, that is not what we got going on. Sean, it is just a joke. It is a circus. It's off the train, off the tracks, and we need to make sure the American people know that. And by the way, I'm going to play one more plug. Adam Schiff needs to come out of hiding, get, get some Amen. courage and some backbone, and actually come before our committee and testify. If he doesn't, he has no veracity in anything that he's written. All right. So, uh, Jim Galloway, Jim Galloway, just one personal observation first. Uh, when you record a promo for our shows here, they really shouldn't be much longer than 25 seconds. And sometimes I have a lot of words I'm trying to get in, and I find myself talking like Doug Collins does all the time without having a time limit of that sort. Right. I, th- I, I, I think somebody needs to put a radar gun on them. But... Uh... Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting. I mean, you, you heard him there, and he was kind of, he was kind of uh, taking the, taking the party line on on uh, on the Trump defense. Elsewhere, I think uh, he is he is actually he's he's uh, if you if you listen to those many words carefully, so, sometimes he does separate himself from from some Trump thinking. For instance, there was an NPR interview uh, this week with 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 Collins in which he 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 advocated for for the President Trump's attorneys well, to get. Jim, let's listen to what he said on All Things Considered. White House counsel has said it's unconstitutional, illegitimate, and they're not going to participate. Up until now. Have you gotten a signal that they are planning to reverse course? Read the letter from Pat Cipollini this past week where he said he was not going to participate, but would reserve the right to participate and look forward to participating in what we do. Should they participate? Yes. When there's an actual opportunity in which it is a situation in which they can present, do the... uh, presentation that they need to. And I think that's what we're working on right now. Jim, there it is. Yeah. No. So that is interesting, Eric Tannenblatt, that uh, Collins 
is uh, is separating himself just a bit from Trump. We have a, a five o'clock deadline today uh, that the uh, House Judiciary Committee is uh, set for the White House to indicate whether, in fact, it is going to present a defense, take advantage of opportunities to bring in their own witnesses uh, to to testify. And here's a Doug Collins uh, essentially saying they really ought to get involved at some point. Yeah, and and I, look, I think he is. He's doing a very good job as the ranking member of the committee. I think he's doing a far better job than Nunez did uh, on the Intelligence oh, Committee. Well, yeah. And I think he's demonstrating some leadership. Plus, I think uh, Jerry Nadler is not as strong a chairman as uh, as Adam Schiff. But I think we're very fortunate, Republicans are very fortunate, to have Doug Collins in that role that he's in right now. Mary Margaret, what have you seen as you've watched this unfold? I was introduced to Doug Collins on the floor of our house here in Georgia, you know, as a chaplain from the Air Force who was finishing law school. And I worked with him fairly detailed in several different ways as he rose quickly based on talent. He's a he's a, um, a guy of real talent for this business. And of course, what he, the character he's playing on television is not somebody I recognize. Uh, but he's very smart. And I'm guessing that his leadership role uh, has put him in a place where he's playing a obviously a lawyer role on behalf of the president. Um, it, it again, and I go back to my friends, the suburban women. What do they think of that performance? Calling names, calling names, pointing fingers, and you have the a law professor and these State Department witnesses, professional women, highly successful, very uh, measured in their tone, being screamed at. Um, by a guy with a thick southern accent, and all the women in suburbia, you know, are from Ohio, as far as I can <laughs> No offense to Ohio. Happy no, well, Ohio I've got to jump in there with, with what you're saying. I, I like to refer to my friends on the Judiciary Committee, because when I testified this summer, it was before a subcommittee of Judiciary. And uh, what I can say is, I mean, you know, we were talking about uh, – uh, some of the uh, bills involving media and, and what was going on up there, and the co- and and speaking with Doug Collins was nothing like what I what I see on TV. I mean, I think he's been asked to play a role. He has made a decision that he will play it, and he seems to be banking his future on that role working out for him. It, is it an is it a winning argument though, Eric Tannenblatt? That's is, the more important question. Is it a winning argument for the— that is the argument that Collins makes, that along with other Republicans, that this is an illegitimate inquiry, that it was illegally begun, that there is no evidence that would warrant impeachment? Is that really—the we the, the White House likes to say that the polling now shows that people don't support impeachment, uh, that it's going downhill. But in fact, uh, the, the figures have remained about— even on this. They have not declined. They're about where they were in September when it was first announced. Yeah. I mean, there are people that feel very strongly that, you know, this this does not warrant impeachment and what we're going through. And, and they're passionate. I mean, all you have to do is turn on Fox News, mm. just like you turn on MSNBC and CNN and see the other side. I mean, we, we are a very divided nation on, on this particular issue. Jim, Jonathan Turley, who, of course, was the Republican witness uh, when the uh, lawyers got up there, probably the most significant comments he made, or certainly what the, the bulk of what he had to say was focused on, was, I'm not saying that you don't have um, uh, valid inquiries here. I'm not suggesting the president is necessarily innocent of the things you're uh, investigating. Right, right. But my concern is you are accelerating this process too quickly and not bringing the American people with you. What did you think about that? Our, well, argument? I mean, the other part of his argument was 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 kind of interesting that he said. Basically, you need to, uh, the, the, especially say in in the obstruction of Congress case. He, you know, he was pointing to the fact that Congress had not taken all of these subpoenas to the courts, uh, and and that that kind of, you know, if you talk to to Democrats on that side, you know, that's 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 part of the delaying process. That's part of the that that is going over reliance on the court is part of the obstruction. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just more than anything, uh, rather than getting into a long conversation, although about we it, do have three branches of government, 
yes, yes, yes. But but impeachment is the sole did you province wonder, of, right? the, of, the, of, the, of the Congress. Did you wonder if that will come back to haunt the Democrats, that a court could kind of find a way to say, well, you haven't, you haven't exhausted the process. Um, courts are tempted to do that, it seems like. Your well, question, is this going to work? It, it just They have the votes already to defeat the impeachment and trial, in, in my guesstimate. Mm-hmm. And so if, you, if that's your measurement of is it going to work, then the answer is yes, it's going to work. The screaming and the insulting and the name-calling is a diversion that is only negative, however. If you're going to win, why not... I, I, and I, I will tell you what I think the answer to that is, is, okay, in order to convict a president and remove him from office, which has never been done, they need 67 votes in the Senate, right? They're not going to have. They're not going to have that. But if they get a majority, a simple majority, that does say something. And that does carry over into the 2020 election, I think. All right. Well, we know we've got one more hearing. At least the Judiciary Committee is uh, meeting again on Monday morning where they're going to hear from members of the Intelligence Committee who did fact witnesses during their uh, time in the spotlight. And that, by the way, means political rewind is going to be preempted by NPR's coverage of the impeachment hearing. Uh, This is one of those days we really feel that we want to uh, make way for a big national story and, and let you hear uh, that unfold. And there are going to be times off and on, I think, in the weeks ahead where we'll have to make decisions about whether we go on the air or we take NPR coverage of various aspects of this. But I did want to let you know uh, we're almost certainly not going to be on the air on Monday, but back with you on uh, Tuesday. Um, we're just about out of time for today's show. And I want to, first of all, thank Mary Margaret Oliver for being here. We're looking forward to hearing about the secret legislation. Oh, you'll hear about the secrets. Oh, good. I'm glad. Eric Tannenblatt uh, with us again today. Thank you, Eric. Kevin Riley and Jim Galloway, two strong representatives of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Thank you all for being here as well. I wanted to remind you all, and I have to tell you, people are already calling that number. If you think you're the right person to be part of the citizen panel that I'm hopeful we're going to be able to get it together in time to do one in late January. We'll see about that. But if you think you should be on our panel, call this number, 404-685-2426. You'll hear my voice and you'll be asked to leave your name, where you're calling from, your political affiliation, and then briefly Tell us why you think you'd be a good person to be on the panel uh, when we finally put it together. And and I do want to point out, if you start going on and on, if you go for more than like a minute, I think Sam is probably who he's going to be fielding these. He's just going to say goodbye, and that'll be it. So keep your remarks brief. It won't help you to give us a thesis on the uh, voicemail. That's it for us for today. I hope you have a great weekend out there. We won't see you on Monday, but we'll be back with you on Tuesday for more of Political Rewind. Take care.